Whenever we hear the name Thomas Edison, there's likely several different characteristics that come to mind. First, we think of how he was a great inventor, how he made many different things that made life just that much better, even back in his own time. Or maybe we think of him as a successful businessman, one who created a company that still exists in some way, even to this day. But how many of us, whenever we think about Thomas Edison, would think of him as an optimist, one who thinks the best of every situation? It was interesting because at one moment in time, he was interviewed, and during this interview, they asked, in the midst of all of the failures, all the different times that he had tried with the electric light bulb to make it successful, how did he endure all that failure? And here's what he said. I didn't fail 10,000 times. I found 10,000 different times and 10,000 different ways that it didn't work. And we might think that that's just arguing semantics, that that's just switching up words to baptize something and make it sound better. But think about what he's saying. He's not willing to be governed by failure. He's not willing to let that eclipse all of his effort, all of his work, everything that he's doing. But rather, he found 10,000 different ways. And during those ways, he discovered something. He made something better that he went through. And he did all those steps until eventually he was successful. And if we think about it, whenever we endure and whenever we walk through the Christian life, we don't really think about it in those terms, in the terms of optimism or even a people of hope. And yet that is the call of the Christian disciple, that we are called to be a people that continue to see the good, even in the midst of a valley of tears, even in the midst of failure, even in the midst of things that go wrong or suffering. But what does that look like exactly? And why does that change life for us right here in 2024? We see in the first reading that book of Job is telling us about that character Job. And in particular, it's giving us a very vivid, full-color image of how far Job has fallen. We know that Job in his life was very favored towards the Lord. And in fact, he saw all of the good things in life. He, en he enjoyed many different benefits. He had a lot of gifts and a lot of grace from the Lord. And because of that, and oftentimes because of that res as a result, he would simply be the Lord's, that he always followed because everything was going well. But notice what happens whenever things start or stop going well, whenever suffering enters in, whenever the trials and desolations of life start to hit Job and hit him hard. What does he do? Immediately, here's what he says. Life is a drudgery. It's nothing better than being a hireling that he goes through and he tells about how his nights are full of affliction, how he's endured many months of desolation, and that's not enough. Because at night, he says how he wishes it were day, and the night drags on as if to spite him. And what's worse, he just continues that he says his life is like the threading of a weaver, that it's simply going through day by day, going very quickly, that his days are like the wind. And notice this very last line. It's very telling. I will never see happiness again. How sad is that? How discouraging is that? That one that was so close to the Lord at one point in time has let himself fall so far that he won't even see hope at this point in time, even in the midst of affliction or suffering. Because notice the responsorial psalm that follows right after that. Praise the Lord who heals the brokenhearted. 
He probably wishes that he had had that, but in that very moment, Job wasn't interested. Job was more interested in throwing himself a pity party, that he couldn't do things and he couldn't endure it. He couldn't hold back on his frustration. Therefore, he just let the Lord have it. And therefore, he wouldn't live in hope that he couldn't expect a greater future. His eyes were so clouded by what was going on that he was simply living in a bleak sort of way, and he couldn't live in hope of a better future. We continue on to St. Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians, and we've heard him for the past few weeks telling the church in Corinth how life is different because of faith, how it's encouraging them to live in a different way, that it should influence everything that they do from the moment they get up to the moment they go to bed at night. And in fact, he's telling them that it is encouraging them and he's exhorting them to live that different way. But today's a little bit different because St. Paul starts to speak to himself because he tells that the gospel has been imposed upon him, but he can't boast because of that. Because we recognize that he underwent this dramatic conversion and this way of life, and he was given a very eloquent tongue. But what does he say in response to this? He can't boast. Because, in fact, he recognizes this is duty. This is obligation. This is his mission. This is exactly what the Lord is telling him to do. And woe to him if he doesn't do it. And so it's sort of this idea that he sees that the Lord is giving him this thing, and he will deserve punishment if he doesn't follow along. But there's more to it than this. Because notice, he doesn't just focus on the obligation. He doesn't see it as just duty. That he doesn't look at life as Job did and see his days as a hireling. But instead, he sees that and he treats it with love. That he is greatly, that he's so overjoyed at the lot in life that is his. And he wants to work hard at his mission. And so he tells us that he's becoming all things to all people. So at least to save some. To those that are weak, he became weak. To the slaves, he became as a slave. And he became all things to all. So at least to save some. And that is so that he, too, can enjoy the gospel. That he's not hearing the message and simply reserving it for himself, but he hears the message and he goes forth to preach it. And he's preaching it with such passion and conviction that he wants everyone to believe and to come to knowledge of God so that life can be so much better for each and every one of his listeners. And he's not unaware that he might be met with failure. He's not unaware that there might be people who hear his message say that's idealistic and just simply slam it kind of off to the side and move away. But he says, I want to save at least some. So he continues to show up and he continues to try each and every day that he's still optimistic, he's hopeful. But what's even better is he's been captivated by the gospel. Then we move on to the Gospel of Mark, and we see three different parts that hit us from this Gospel. So first, we see the healing of Simon's mother-in-law, that they enter into this house, and then the disciples petition to the Lord. They come to him immediately and ask him about her. That he goes, he helps her up, and immediately the fever leaves her, and she waits on them. It's a dramatic story of healing, and it's immediate. Notice how powerful it is. But it's so powerful that it starts to spread throughout the land. They hear word of this, and by the evening, that word is spreading so quickly that the entire town is gathered at that door. And so they start to present all of their sick, all of the infirm, all of those possessed by demons, and Jesus heals all of them and drives out so many demons and doesn't even allow the demons to speak. He enjoys great success and great favor in this town. But eventually in the morning, he goes off by himself to commune with God his Father. And as such, the disciples go and they approach him. And they say, people from everywhere are looking for you. 
But he doesn't let himself be blinded by popularity. But he instead says, let us go to the other towns and villages that I may preach there also. For this I was sent. And so he starts to heal. He starts to preach the good news, not just in that place, but in every town and place and throughout the entire region of Galilee. Such was his message of healing, of good news, and preaching the gospel. But let's think about this for a minute. Because, in fact, we hear how Job, at the very beginning, doesn't seem to get things right. And he has a very terrible situation and perspective on life. And yet, in the gospel, we see someone who is hopeful. Some people who are expecting that the Lord will answer their plea. What does that mean for us as Christian disciples? How does that change life for the better? Well, first is a question. Whenever you view your life, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Because, in fact, one of those two things is a Christian virtue, and the other is the lack of virtue. Because the reality is that if we are going to live a Christian life, we cannot afford to live as Job did. Job refused to see the good news. He refused to see through success. That he refused to enter into that relationship, even as difficult moments as he might have been in. That he refused to follow the Lord through all of those things. And so he lived life in a pessimistic way. And yet that's not the call of the disciple. The call of the disciple is to be the optimist, to be the one that sees the positive, to see the one, the one that can, wants to see success and works very diligently to make sure that that success occurs. And that, in fact, is the life of a disciple because it's not just about the moments going well of our lives and it's not just about everything going right for us, but it's especially important when we prove our salt, when things go south, whenever things don't go as expected, are we able to see them through nonetheless? And optimism is actually somewhat of a human natural virtue because it's something that natural human humanity should be able to come to even in the midst of strife, that we continue to have the strength, we have foresight, we have knowledge, we have the ability to do things even when it's difficult. We've been taught this from the time that we were young. And for better or worse, oftentimes it can be hard, it can be difficult, but nonetheless, many times we can still do it, that we can be the optimist in those select situations. But make no mistake, we're in a world that's fighting against that. We live in a world of pessimism. We live in a world filled with negativity. We live in a world that is so filled with antitrust that it says don't trust anyone beyond yourself. And therefore, if you do, you're taking your life into your hands. And what's worse, it tells us that all of the situations in life, they're beyond our control. Why dare we to hope? Why dare we to not despair? And so oftentimes we succumb to that. Because we start to see how difficult the situation is, we back away. That we start to hear someone beckoning us to hope, and we say that they're naive and idealistic, and we throw their message to the side. And many times we hear what the world is saying. We watch the 5 o'clock news, we see all the things going wrong, and we start to become very bitterly discouraged. And we start to even become deafened to the voice of God, even in the midst of all of these things. And that's partially because we're not just meant to be optimistic. That's only part of it. But optimism comes from within, that it's a strength of soul, that it is a characteristic that a person can continue to foster and to nourish within themselves. And it's a continual disposition that's oftentimes very difficult, but it's nonetheless important, but it's not everything. Because as much as we see that interplay, and as much as we see that we are encouraged to optimism, 
some situations in life are beyond our control. Some situations may seem bleak. Some situations might threaten to take away our very view of the future. And even in those moments, there's some virtue that becomes much more essential and much more important to living the Christian life and living it well. And that is the virtue of hope. Hope is not just a natural virtue. Hope is a supernatural virtue. It tells us that whenever everything goes wrong, whenever every last situation falls, when it's like a stack of dominoes and nothing actually goes right, we still hold on to what does. We still hold on to the fact that we know that we have a better future, that even in the midst of failure and suffering and affliction and trials and all of the things that can go wrong in this life, that we can still hold to one thing that will go right. That is the kingdom of heaven. That's whenever we go home to meet the Lord. That's whenever we, encourage, whenever we encounter the fruit and the object of all of our desire, being eternally unified with our Lord and with our God in the halls of the kingdom of heaven. And that, in fact, is the virtue. Because many times in life we do undergo a lot of suffering, a lot of affliction, affliction and a lot of different things that can go wrong. And they often do. So many times we're short-sighted. We just don't want to know how to endure it. So we simply run. We don't listen to those that are telling us to have faith or begging patience or doing anything else that we don't have the ability to see further. And that's often because of our relationship with the Lord. Because look at St. Paul. He's the realist in the situation. And it is not naive to have optimism or to have hope within this world. And no matter how bleak or how bad things may seem. But look at St. Paul. He's very aware that things are not going to go well all the time. That he even endures captivity and the suffering of a martyr's death. That he goes on and eventually endures all of these afflictions. But does he ever let go of hope? I dare say not. And he lives that optimism too. That he knows that he can go out and preach the gospel and maybe only a few people will hear the message that he's saying. But that's okay with him because he's doing exactly what God has sent him to do. That, in fact, is an encouragement for us, because in this day and age, many times we get this idea within our minds that we live out faith when it feels good. But what about the moments when we actually need it? What about the moments whenever we're tempted to pessimism? What about the moments when we are tempted to despair, that utter mortal sin that completely breaks our relationship with God? Because despair oftentimes seeks to strangle us. It seeks to hold us back and ensnare us and captivate us in the devil's own hold. That it tries to hold us back from reaching our full potential or even seeing the good side of things and the good side of life. But do we recognize that the way of the disciple is the way of optimism? It's the way of hope. It's the way of seeing the future and how we are called God's sons and daughters. Because the reality is, at the end of the day, each and every day, there are some things that can never be taken away from us. We can never be taken away from our sonship or our daughtership with God our Father. We should never be able to be taken away from the kingdom of heaven, bar our own, in our own failures. That those things cannot be taken away with us if we cling to them tightly, if we hold to them through all the different things and the twists and the turns of this life but we have to continue to endure. We have to have optimism. We have to have strength. And in the moments when we don't have strength, we have to continue to adhere to Christ who will give us that strength. But we have to be vulnerable 
Because oftentimes where faith fails, or whenever we find ourselves wondering where to turn, it's because we haven't fully trusted the Lord. We haven't given ourselves over to a life of faith. We haven't trusted in those that are around us, in those that are preaching the good news, or even Jesus Christ himself. And that, in fact, is where we're encouraged and challenged. But then the question becomes, as we continue to consider these two virtues, how can we grow those today? Where should we seek better optimism or greater levels of seeing the positive side of things or even seek hope in the midst of all of the struggles, the afflictions, and the trials, and even sometimes the temptation to despair? Well, sometimes it takes familiarity with God. And this isn't just saying that we can relegate God to one day of the week and maybe just for an hour. But we have to continually renew our hearts and our souls because the world is trying far harder to continue to try to bring us down and to ensnare and enslave us in a hopelessness and despair that we can never escape, bar the grace of God. But we have to continue to strive to work harder, to continue to build up spiritual strength and resilience so that we continue to rely on the Lord, even in the worst moments of life, even in the situations where we don't know where an answer is going to come, even in those moments whenever we just feel like it's all too much, that the Lord is there. But that requires us continuing to immerse ourselves in God's Word, seeing how the Bible comes to us, especially for the moments when we are tempted to doubt and despair, or come to the Lord in prayer, in the moments even when we don't really want to talk to Him, whenever we're like Job, and we just feel like we've been dealt a terrible hand by the Lord our God that those are the moments that it's essential that we talk to the Lord our God. Or even in the moments when we are tempted to just give up on faith, that we actually double down and we continue to re-adhere our hearts and our souls to faith because we aren't meant to despair. We're not meant to give up. We're not meant to be a hopeless people or a race full of pessimists. Rather, we are meant to live those Christian virtues of optimism and of hope. And that, in fact, is what we're challenged and encouraged to do. Because oftentimes in this life, we can start to let ourselves get down or to be bogged down by the different things that are happening in this life. And sometimes we even become our own worst enemy because we become a class of bitter people or we seem to be just utterly enslaved by those that are outside of the church. But what if we live that optimism? What if we live that hope? What if we turn this entire world around to the Lord our God if we have the ability to dare to even to hope that such a thing is possible? Because it is. The promises of the Lord are not going away. And they will be fulfilled. They will not go with, through this life without being fulfilled in the way that we expect or the way that God has promised. But we have to continue to trust and to have faith. And that, in fact, is where we continue to struggle. We continue to do battle, and we continue to seek after the Lord our God. Because we know that we live in a world that is so often negative. It's filled with all sorts of criticism, all sorts of harshness, and it tends to be bogged down by the things that go wrong. But what if we start to seek that Christian worldview? What if we start to seek to live out those virtues of optimism and hope yet again? Because maybe Thomas Edison was on to something. Imagine if he had chosen not to live in optimism. What if he had just immersed himself in failure? Likely, we wouldn't have come as far as we are today, especially in several of the different things that he had to try repeatedly on. And therefore, he lived as that optimist and the one who believed that in time he could find success, he could find the object of his heart's desire. 
And how much more can we be fulfilled, especially knowing the Lord our God, who is the object of our desire, the source of all hope and consolation, who will even bring us peace in utter desolation, or in the moments where we are tempted to despair. Because the Lord wants us to live not as a people that are bogged down or held back by the situations in life, or even that are critical of the Lord because of the hard situations that we've gone through, but rather we should live as a people that continue to strive for the better, that work, that preach the gospel, that continue to preach the good news, especially to those that most need to hear it, that we preach that positivity, the optimism that the Lord provides, but that we also live in that hope that we are immersed in, that even in the midst of all the things that can go wrong in this life, we know that we are continuing to approach the kingdom of God. Through the grace of Jesus Christ, may we not be bogged down or ensnared or enslaved to the things of this life or even to hopelessness or despair, but may we, through Jesus and his grace, live the virtues of optimism and of hope.